Merry Christmas, Crosspoint. We're the Henrys. The season of Advent reminds us of God's love. From the first Sunday of Advent until Christmas Eve, we await the celebration of Jesus' birth. Week four of Advent is a thrill of love. John 1, 16 to 17 says, From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9 to 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only, only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus brings us a thrill of love. The weary world rejoices. How's everybody doing? We're all good. Good to see you. See that you braved the massive winter storm out there and made your way to church. Well done. Well done. Well, we uh, thought about calling our Christmas series a Crosspoint Hallmark Christmas. No, we didn't. That's a lie. We didn't think about that for one second. Uh, any Hallmark fans out there? Come on. Yeah, woo, I even got a woo, yeah. I got to hear a few groans, some groans out there. I mean, if we had done that, I'd, I'd, I'd be out in the lobby watching sports if we ever, if we ever do that, I'm just telling you. Um, you remember when Hallmark made greeting cards? <laughs> a lot of people don't even remember that. Anyhow, Hallmark is basically taking over the world because everyone loves a good love story, right? And you know the plot before you even turn the TV on. I keep reminding my wife of this. Like, like you know how this is going to go. Like, there's no, there's no suspense. Like, they're just giving you what you want. And she says, yes, and I want more of it. Like, and she'll just, she'll just watch it for hours. Like, are you going to eat? No. Are you going to sleep? No. I just... Just watching. So it's pretty much taken over the world. At some point in the show, the couple will choose love over everything, you know, and your heart will be strangely warmed. And you just, yes, give me more. And you'll watch like 72 hours without a potty break. You'll just like, yes, because everyone loves a good love story. And Christmas is a love story. Now, if you were watching this as a movie, you would be cheering for Joseph to not break off the engagement. You'd be like, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Like, you'd be tempted, like, ah, don't break off. Like, believe her. Trust her. What she says is true. It, it's crazy, but it actually 
is the work of the Holy Spirit, believe it or not. And you'd be cheering for him, like, don't, stay with her, stay with her, come on. And um, when the first group of dirty, mangy shepherds showed up to worship the baby, you would cry, right? If you're watching this as a movie, if you're watching it as a movie, Jesus in human flesh is literally the love of God among us. John 3 verse 16 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So the way that God chose to demonstrate his love to you, to you and you and you and you and you, and even you. Oh, and good morning, those of you watching online, and you, welcome. We're glad you're joining us. The way that God chose to demonstrate his love towards us is by giving us Jesus to save us from our sins. So Hallmark has written, I'm sure they've written some good ones. Thankfully, I've not watched any of them yet. I'm, holding, I'm hoping to keep that record intact. They've written some good ones, but they've not written one like this. This is the greatest love story that was ever, ever told. Now, I'm not sure what we've done to Christmas, but at its core, Christmas is a love story, and the followers of Jesus are supposed to have that love in us, and we're supposed to demonstrate that love to a lost and broken, dark, anxious, afraid, worried world, a weary, worried that is hard to say. And people need love more than, more than anything. The first people to gather around the newborn baby, they were filled with joy. They were filled with hope. Um, they, they sang glory to God in the highest and peace on earth because they knew that the love of God had come and they knew that his love would change the world. We just read a verse from an eyewitness, John, John 3.16. That John uh, was a friend of Jesus, knew Jesus, lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, heard Jesus teach, saw the miracles. He was, an, he was an eyewitness. And John wasn't just any disciple of Jesus. John had a nickname. It's in scripture. He was known as the beloved, which I'm sure made his peers really thrill. Oh, the beloved, well, aren't you special? And, uh, but that was his nickname because Jesus, Jesus loved him so much. So he had a special relationship with Jesus. Towards the back of the New Testament, we have another letter from the same John, and it's called 1 John. It's, it's, the Gospel of John is, was written earlier, and then he writes these other letters, and towards the back of the New Testament, we have another one called 1 John. In 1 John, when he's writing this letter, he's now a pastor or an overseer of a group of young churches in the area of Ephesus. Real people, real time in history, real places, and he's a pastor over a small group of churches. And he writes this letter probably, it's probably in the early 90s, not the 1990s, the original 90s, right? In the early 90s is probably when he wrote this letter. And there was some false teaching that started to surface in the new church. And uh, in fact, it had, it had gained enough 
traction that they were sending out pastors with this false doctrine and false teaching, but there were these pastors representing that stuff, and they were going around to the churches saying, no, 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 like there's some, we found out like some new stuff, and you're supposed to, uh, you're supposed to listen to this. And John, this letter that we have with us, 1 John, is written to these churches to be circulated to bring them back to the truth. He is an eyewitness of Jesus, and he doesn't want these churches getting messed up with, with false doctrine and false teaching, and so he's bringing them back to what we know to be true. And that's what, that's my goal in this message this morning as your pastor standing here today is to bring us back and remind us of what we know to be, to be true. So it's 1 John, uh, you've already heard some verses this morning from 1 John, we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes, eyewitnesses, and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. And we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. We can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Hmm, do we have a recurring theme in this text? Could it be love? Could it be that God first loved us and we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love each other? I think it's pretty clear. And for me, the words of John, have an, they carry an extra, an extra weight when, when we know and when we remember that, that he, was a, he was a firsthand eyewitness when we remember his relationship um, with Jesus. And there were other eyewitnesses still alive so what John is saying is, you know, I'm, I'm writing this, and if you, don't, 
If you're not sure, go check with other people. Go ask so-and-so. Like, they were alive. They saw Jesus. They heard his teaching. Go check it out with other eyewitnesses. John got his theology of love from Jesus. What he's writing here, where did he learn this? Where did he get this? Yes, he's, he's writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but he got his theology of love from Jesus. He has seen the power of love. His own life has been forever changed by the love of God to the point where John and his peers are willingly ready to, to lay down their lives for, for Jesus, for, for God's love. So they can't be threatened by persecution or anything like that. In fact, if they were, they would say, you know, with joy, like, go ahead, take my life because I met him. And I, and I know him, and it's true. So I'll gladly lay down my life for this because it, it is the truth. And now, as a pastor, as an overseer of a group of churches, John writes to them with a, with a pastoral love. Believe it or not, your pastor does love you. Um, if we haven't met, welcome to Crosspoint. My name's Tim, and, uh, and we're, we're friends, okay? We're friends, and, and, and I do love you. So John writes with pastoral love to keep them focused on who Jesus is and why this teaching matters more than anything. He starts this section, he's well into his letter, but he starts this section by saying, dear friends. Dear friends is an invitation to lean in. It's, it's, a, it's a cue in the letter that what I'm about to say is important. So he's inviting them all to like, let's press in on this this is important. Let's really hear this, hear this today. Um, he draws on his relationship of trust with his, with his readers. Come on, he's like, you, you know me. You, you trust me. Uh, lean in on this. Let's gather around and be reminded how much God loves us. And then verse 9 basically echoes John 3.16. Did you, did you notice that? Verse 9. Since we, uh, it, would happen if, it, would, it would help if I was in the right uh, chapter. I was in five. Here, verse nine. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is one of the ways that we know that this John was the same John that wrote the gospel of John because John 3.16 and John 4.9 basically say pretty much the same thing. It's, it's an echo. Um, God sent his son to save us. Years ago here at Crosspoint, we, we did a Christmas skit. And we had a manger on the stage. And then we had a Roman centurion, not a real one. A Roman centurion named Mark Brewer walked out on the stage. And uh, looks at this manger. And I think he, he kicked it over or knocked it over, you know, kind of with attitude and with disgust. And, and walked away and then looked at it and came back and started picking up the pieces of the manger and put it back together again. Only this time, when he put it back together, it didn't make a manger. It, it took the shape of a cross. And you remember last week when I said, when, when the wise men come into Jerusalem saying, hey, we're here to see the king. And Herod says, oh, well, I need, I need to kill him. Because I'm the king, and there's only room in my life for one king. And so we said last week that that lit the fuse to the cross when they, when they asked that question, where is the newborn king? 
or it tipped that first domino towards the cross. And then you can draw the line between the manger and the cross. It's why we're going to celebrate communion here a little bit later in the service. Because he was, he was born to die. God sent us a child who would lay down his, his life for our sins. Christmas is a love story. And it was initiated by God. You were pursued by God, by God. John makes that clear. I think he repeats it actually a few times in that text. It's not that, that you loved God, but that God loved you first. That God initiated it. He pursued you. He's crazy about you. He loves you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knew you before your parents even met. It's, it's amazing and it's astounding. And maybe you just needed to be reminded this morning of the love of God. He came to find you and to rescue you from your sin. Now again, if this was a Hallmark movie, and I'm really glad that it's not, but if you were watching this service right now and you were hearing this, this message about the love of God, you would be cheering for everyone in this room to, to know that they are loved and to embrace this love, to not run from it, but to run to it and to accept uh, the love of God in their lives. John clearly identifies God as the source of love, that love comes from God. Now, not everybody sees God as a God of love. You've probably met people who don't see God as a God of love. And it's in us and on us to, to change that, to help people see, no, really, honestly, he is a God of love. Like, it's, that's part of our responsibility to help people see that. Without God... There is no good reason for love to exist. Like if, if, if there is no God and we're all just the result of random collisions of some kind of organic matter over millions of years, so there is no God, then love is just something that, that we created that, that evolved so that we would stop killing each other right? Like love is just something fabricated. It's not real if there is no God. It's a, it's a thin veil. It's something that you just, you just use that emotion to get what you want. You can turn it on and turn it off. You can control it. You can make it situational. You can make it individual. I love you, but yeah, you know, you can do that if, 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 if there is no God, but that's not God's love. And that's why John, I mean, he just keeps repeating it over and over. He, he wants us to lean into this. He wants us to get this rooted deep down in our lives. That God loved you first. That your love is a response to his love. The only reason you have love, the only reason it exists, is because God first loved you. This is where worship comes from. I mean, we are in a worship service right now. When that wells up in you and it just, you just want to express your worship to God, where does that come from? It's because God loved you first. It's, it comes from deep inside the heart of someone who knows that their only hope in this world is because God loved them first. Your only hope for salvation, for redemption, for forgiveness of your sins, your only hope is that God loved you first. 
This is why the Christmas story is filled with wonder and joy and glory and peace on earth and goodwill to all men and all of that. It's, it's, it's supposed to be filled with love because God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. It's good news. Now, I'm writing this sermon this week. I'm at home with Grandma and Ann writing and studying and praying. And as I'm working on this, I'm feeling like there's just something here we need to, there's something that needs to be maybe seen for the first time or unlocked or opened or something we haven't been practicing as much as maybe the church of Jesus should. So like Pastor John, when he wrote this, I'm going to say to you this morning, dear friends, dear friends, come on, let's gather in on this for a few more minutes before we leave this morning. This is the last Sunday of Advent. I don't know how that's possible. Um, it's only, what, six more sleeps until ho-ho, something like that. Um, Saturday, right? And on the 23rd, this Thursday night, making announcements as I preach, um, two services, one at 6 and one at 7.30, we will celebrate uh, a thrill of light that Jesus is the light of the world. Now, Advent is looking forward. That's the meaning of Advent. When we practice Advent now, we're practicing like the people did before Jesus was born, a looking forward to when God would send his son into the world, an anticipation of what God is going to do. We set aside these four Sundays of preparation and they kind of keep us focused on the meaning of Christmas. That's why we do, that's why we practice Advent. People don't do four Sundays of preparation leading up to my birthday. <laughs> July 13th, <clears throat> excuse me, something in my, <clears throat> July 13th. <clears throat> um, I mean, we practice Advent now, we're doing that right now, but we don't live in the original Advent like people did before Jesus was born. We're on the other side of that. Jesus has come, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And so our Advent now is waiting for the return of Christ. Like where we live now is somewhere between Monday and heaven, right? Jesus is either gonna come back or you're gonna go to be with him, right? We're, that's where we live now. We're in the in-between. The first advent was longing for Jesus to come and save us from our sins. But where we live now, this second advent, is not, we're not longing for Jesus to come. We're living with Jesus. He's here. And, and we're going, we're called and commissioned to go and share this good news with others before Jesus comes back or we go to meet him. This theme of love, the thrill of love, is so central to John's teaching because John has seen firsthand what love can do. He knows, he knows that Jesus came and downloaded to earth a new level of love that would literally change all of history, change, change the world. He, a love that is meant to unite us and ignite us. As a church, we are to be united around love, and then we're to be sparked. We're to be fueled and ignited to think, I can't keep this to myself. 
I've got to leave here. I've got to go out into the darkness and share this good news that Jesus has come. There's hope. The light of the world has come. There's love. There's joy. I've got to go out and tell this. So it's to both unite us and ignite us. It's to compel us and to propel us, to, to send us out of here. A love that is so radical and inexplainable that people would be drawn to it like moss to a flame. This is, this is the plan of God, that, that people like us would, would get so on fire and so uh, we would be loving one another to such a degree, on such a level, that it just would be astounding to people outside the church and they would be attracted to it like moss to a flame. Now, when I taught this in the first service, right at this point, they came unglued. They were, they were, they were just running around. They were, it was pandemonium. They were so excited about this love of God and, and how we can love one another to such a degree that, that everybody would want to have this kind of love. It was wild, wasn't it? It was, it was unreal. Um, it's attractive. The love of God. This, this love that, that we should know and this love that we should be practicing, it's, gang, it should be attracting, attractive. Like people outside the church, people who know you, people should, should see this as, man, I want that. I want that kind of, how do I get that kind of love in my life? There should be something attractive about it. Note to self, don't pound your iPad when you're preaching because your text might disappear. <laughs> it's otherworldly, and it's counter to what, to what your selfish nature wants to do, isn't it? Like the love of God, your old selfish nature starts to like, I don't want to, you know, bam, and the love of God just wells up inside you. You'll, you'll be a different person, or you should be. It is surprising and it is disarming. It walks towards the hurting and it is the good Samaritan. It runs towards people who turn their backs on you and it is the prodigal father. It meets lonely people at the well and offers them acceptance and forgiveness. It is 70 times seven. It's turn the other cheek. It's go the extra mile. And gang, gang, friends, we're all friends, right? Church, I am convinced of this. I am convinced of this. The, the early church had the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And yes, the early church was God-ordained to survive the, the, the brutality of the first and second centuries. To emerge out of that is a phenomenal miracle, but it was ordained by God. And I get all of that. But I am convinced that the distinguishing difference that kept them growing and going at all, against all odds was their love for one another and their love for their community. It's, it's their love that, that, that just made them so attractive that other people wanted to join. The church kept growing. The numbers were growing daily. And they were loving their enemies and they were loving their persecutors and they were going out and, and taking care of the, the hurting and the needs in their community. And that kind of love changed the world. And we're a part we're part of that group here today. There is no defense for love. People who live like Jesus love like Jesus. John says it right here in his text. He says, you can't say that you love God, but then be, you know, 
choosy and picky about who you love on earth. Like John says, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to live like Jesus, you've got to love like Jesus. And that means everyone. And everyone in the original Greek means, it means everyone. It doesn't mean I, I like you and I, you, yeah, woo, I, why do I always point to that side of the church? I'm sorry. It doesn't mean I love you, but yeah, woo, yeah, woo. It doesn't mean that. It, get, we've got to love one another on a level that, that will change the world. God's love is initiating. John says it's because God first loved you. It's initiating. Uh, it is inviting. It is restoring. It is unfathomable. It is inexhaustible. His love is unwavering. 1 Corinthians 13, you've heard these words before. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Anybody ever get irritable? Right? Um, wow. <laughs> it is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. The longer this, this mess goes on, this pandemic, the longer this mess goes on, the greater our opportunity to show love to others. People are getting out on the ragged edge of life. Uh, it's wearing thin. It's getting hard out there. Uh, people are tired. Uh, they're weary. And um, they're edgy and irritable. And what an opportunity for the church to show love. What an opportunity for us to love others. So, when you leave here this morning in a few minutes, you are being sent out of this church. You are being sh like shot out of a cannon. We are sending you out into the darkness, into a world that's broken and, and all, the, all those things, right? And you're going to interact with people this week who are going to need love. And, and I, I can't wait. I know that God is going to give us all kinds of opportunities to show love. And you're going to run into cranky people and nasty people and, you know, all those things. And your response this week is going to be love. All right? You got it? Because if you're a follower of Jesus and you have the love of God in you, this is what, this is what you're going to do this week. And you know that one person that you always want to avoid? And they might even come to your family dinner, right? We all have them, right? And you're going to love that person. You're going to love them. And they're going to wonder what has happened to you, right? And it's the love of God in you. And God is going to, you're going to, look, I just know this to be true. There's going to be people in your path this week that are going to have needs, there are going to be people who, who just want to have a breakdown and cry. There are going to be people who are afraid and worried and everything else. And you are going to be Jesus. You are going to love them with this crazy, ridiculous, unfathomable love of God that doesn't come from you. It comes, it comes from, it's because God first loved you. This, this week's going to be fun. All right? This week's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, love always wins. Well, let's pray about that, and then we'll transition to the cup. Lord, I look forward, we look forward to these opportunities to love people this week, Christmas week. And uh, we're going to see people everywhere. It's going to be in the drive-thru. It's going to be at the grocery store. It's going to be at work. Wherever we go, we're going to bump into people who need love. The world is desperate for this kind of love, and this is our opportunity and our responsibility. So fill us now. Um, fill us now and change, if, if we need our hearts changed, if we've been hardened, if we've been... You know, if we've kept that person or so-and-so kind of marginalized, that we would open our arms because that's what God would do. If we've forgiven them already seven million times, we're going to go forgive them again because that's what the love of God would do. And if we need extra strength with that, then I pray that you would just give us um, strength that is miraculous to do this in Jesus' name. Um, Lord, I also want to pray for anyone here this morning who, who has not known your love to be real and true and personal in their life. And maybe they're hearing this and it's, and it's just beaten on their heart's door. And, um, and they, want to, they want to know you on a personal level. And I pray that you just give them the courage to say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, Mary's Son, born on this earth to die for my sin. And I, in this moment right now, uh, I'm trusting you, I'm inviting you to come into my life and save me from my sin. And I, I don't know what all this means, I don't have all the answers, but no one, no one else in this room does either. So I'm trusting you in faith, and uh, you will be Lord of my life. I will follow you, I will serve you. Um, so I give you, Lord, all of my life right now in this moment, and I thank you for saving me from my sin. In Jesus' name, amen.